WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Well, good afternoon, everyone. On this second Wednesday of July, the month of the precious blood of Jesus, I'll just offer a little explanation of that. It's the month of the precious blood of Jesus because uh, on the traditional calendar, uh, in the traditional Latin Mass, uh, the feast of the precious blood of Jesus is July 1st. There were separate feasts on the old calendar for Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, uh, the blood of Christ, July 1st. So July is the month of the precious blood, um, that beautiful litany of the precious blood of Jesus, a great prayer to pray. You can find it, just look on the internet. Anyway, in this midpoint of, almost uh, the midpoint of, of July, in this month of the precious blood, we're, we're uh, airing today, and I'm going to begin our program today with uh, the Memorare, if you would join me, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. And St. Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, today is July 12th, and just four days from today, in fact, this coming Sunday, uh, we won't celebrate it liturgically uh, throughout the church, but Sunday, July 16th, is a feast that I'm going to be talking about today, at least part of my show. It is the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. There's a beautiful story behind, story behind um, this feast, and I'll relate it here, okay? The story of Our Lady of Mount Carmel begins back about 800 years before Christ. And at that time, you know, in the kingdom of Israel, now I'll, I'll back up a little farther. The son of King David, who had united all the tribes in amongst the Israelites, okay, uh, after he died, his son Solomon became king. And Solomon started off as a good king, but then uh, his lust got the better of him. He had hundreds of wives, hundreds of concubines, made shrines to the pagan gods for them. And after Solomon died, the kingdom of, you could say, Israel that had been won under David and under Solomon for a time split. You had the northern kingdom, which was called the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called the kingdom of Judah. And that's uh, because David 
King David was from the tribe of Judah, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob or Israel. That is why Christ, a descendant of David, is sometimes called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Well, after about 100 years passed, uh, after the death of Solomon, the, the kingdom split. There's a northern kingdom of Israel, and at the time of the prophet Elijah, he's the first of the great prophets. He's not a writing prophet. We don't see a, a book of Elijah in the Old Testament, but in the first and second book of Kings, and I'll just say if you have an older Bible, um, we have four books of Kings. Uh, in the New American Bible, we have first uh, and second Samuel and then first and second Kings. So what what is in the New American Bible, first and second Kings, in the older Bibles, like the Douay Rheims, it would be the third and fourth books of Kings. We read about Elijah, the great prophet, and Elijah was sent by God to battle against the pagan idolatry that was taking place. King Ahab had a wife named Jezebel, and Jezebel had, was a, a pagan. Uh, she worshipped pagan gods. She had a band of prophets that uh, promoted the pagan gods, drawing people away from the true worship of God to worship demons, because if you're not worshiping God, you're really worshiping demons, whether you realize it or not. And this included things like offering your children up in sacrifice to the pagan gods. Well, the prophet Elijah was sent to uh, call the people of Israel back from pagan idolatry to the true worship of the one God of Israel. And Elijah confronts the, and this is in the first book of Kings, chapter 17, um, Elijah is sent to King Ahab to tell him that for the upcoming years, it ends up being three and a half years, there would be no dew or rain except at my word. In other words, a drought would come in punishment for the people falling off into pagan idol worship. I'm going to break off here and just say something about the prophet Elijah. He's, like I said, the first of the great prophets, and he prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel to call people back from pagan idolatry. And Elijah, we know, at the, at, at, at the end of his prophetic ministry, was taken up by a fiery chariot. And we are going to see the prophet Elijah, maybe not us who are alive right now, possibly it could be so, okay? Depends upon your point of view of things and interpretation of history. But we, we read in a kind of hidden way about the prophet Elijah in the book of Revelation the last book of the Bible, chapter 11 of the book of Revelation speaks of the time that the Antichrist, the beast, okay, is going to gain power in the world. 
And God sends, as chapter 11 of the book of Revelation says, God sends uh, two witnesses to prophesy for 1260 days, three and a half years. And this is the time of the reign of the Antichrist. He will reign for three and a half years in mockery of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is really the end of the world. The Antichrist will reign for three and a half years, and then Jesus will come, the second coming of Christ, and defeat the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth, as St. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians. And then the, this is the second coming, basically, and, and the final judgment, the end of the world. So uh, before the end comes, the Antichrist will reign, for three and a half years. The prophet Daniel says a time, two times, and a half a time. Uh, John in the book of Revelation says 1260 days. You know, all this is in reference to three and a half years. But these two witnesses that will prophesy against the Antichrist and try to call people back from following the beast and accepting the mark of the beast, which is 666, well, who are these two witnesses? The tradition of the church says that, and this is the, the great saints of antiquity, the fathers of the church, and great saints throughout the ages, they say that one of these witnesses is going to be Elijah. And the, the weight of the opinion on the other witness is Henoch. Because Henoch we read about in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, maybe it's chapter 4, I can't recall right now specifically, but Henoch was taken up, he never died. And so Elijah taken up, not dying, Henoch taken up, not dying, they will return to the earth, and they will be the two witnesses. Now, interestingly, here's chapter 11, it continues, the two witnesses who will prophesy for 1260 days wearing sackcloth. In other words, they're going to be in penitential dress. And this is verse 6 of chapter 11. They, the two witnesses, have the power to close up the sky so that no rain can fall during the time of their prophesying, which will be three and a half years. Now, significantly, that is the length of time that Elijah called a drought upon the northern kingdom of Israel because of their following the false gods, the pagan gods. Elijah and the other witness, we, as I said, the weight of opinion is it's Henoch, will call upon God to send a drought, no rain for three and a half years during the rain of the beast, the Antichrist, the man of perdition. Read chapter 2 of 1st uh, uh, and 2nd Thessalonians, pardon me, 1st uh, first first two chapters of 2nd of Thessalonians, and St. Paul speaks of the Antichrist. So does St. John in his first epistle, saying that there will be many Antichrists before the final Antichrist comes. Uh, well, anyway, the book of Revelation speaks of how uh, these two witnesses, Elijah and Henoch, have power to close up the sky so that no rain can fall during the time of their prophesying, 1260 days, three and a half years. 
They also have power, and this is interesting, to turn water into blood and to afflict the earth with any plague as often as they wish. Now, what does turning water into blood remind us of? I'll ask Molly, who's my faithful uh, companion right here today. She's filling in for Angela Tomlinson. And where do you think that comes from, Molly? Do you remember water being turned into blood anywhere in the Bible? Uh, uh, Moses turned the night. Yes, that's it. Right. That's it. This was one of the plagues, the first of the plagues, oh. I think, to turn water into blood during the time uh, right before the, the Passover. Okay? The Passover was the 10th plague, actually. And Moses called on many other plagues, you know, gnats and locusts and lightning striking. Well, just like the uh, two witnesses, Elijah and Henoch, will afflict the earth with any plague as often as they wish. So we see a repeat of history, okay? During the time of Moses, during the time of Elijah, and then in the end times with these two witnesses. What's going to happen to these two witnesses? Well, you keep reading chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, the Apocalypse. Verse 7 says, When they have finished, the two witnesses, their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss, that's the Antichrist, will wage war against them, conquer them, kill them. Their corpses will lie in the main street of the great city, which has symbolic names for Sodom and Egypt, indeed where their Lord was crucified. Well, we know that's Jerusalem. Okay? And people of every tribe, tongue, nation will gaze on their corpses for three and a half days. They will not allow their corpses to be buried. Well, how will people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gaze upon them when John the Apostle wrote these words back at the end of the first century. Uh, I'm sure he, he didn't know how this would be accomplished. Well, we know now. I mean, the, the TV cameras are going to be there. CNN, you know, the other news, news cameras. Oh, look at these, these evil men who, who call down plagues upon us. Hooray, they're, they're finally killed by the beast, by the Antichrist. Well, you keep reading, but after three and a half days, the breath of life of God entered into them. They stood on their feet. Great fear fell upon those who saw them. They heard a loud voice say to them, come up here. They were taken up into heaven in a cloud as their enemies looked on. So anyway, I just thought I'd fill you in on the prophet Elijah because he's going to make his appearance again. In fact, if any of you have read Michael O'Brien's book, uh, he wrote a novel about the Antichrist. It's called Father Elijah. And he has a man coming who's really you know, the prophet Elijah returning. Um, he's a Benedictine monk. He's a different person than Elijah, actually, in the novel. But he comes in the spirit of Elijah facing off on the Antichrist. Okay, it's, he takes some... some artistic literary liberties in the, in the novel but uh, anyway we're going to go back to the the about 800 BC with um, with the the prophet Elijah who sent by God 
to call the people in the northern kingdom back to the worship of the true God. Okay. And so Elijah calls upon the people a drought so that there will be no rain for three and a half years. And God tells Elijah, and this is chapter 17, uh, verse 2, The Lord then said to Elijah, Leave here, go to, and hide in, in the Wadi Cherith, east of the Jordan, a little stream. You will drink from the stream. I have commanded ravens to feed you there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the stream. So Elijah's uh, preparing for uh, his, his great challenge, you could say, of the false prophets who followed especially the King Ahab's wife Jezebel, and we'll get to that story, which is chapter 18 of First Kings, when we return from a short break. I'm David Delighton from the Center for Medical Progress with the Planned Parenthood videos. Catholic radio is so important to the pro-life movement because it's our Catholic faith that teaches us about the true value and dignity of the human person and the inestimable worth of every single beautiful child of God. And that's a message that all of us need to hear and need to continue to pay attention to and be inspired by every day of our lives and work. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Hi, this is Mark Curran. Are you in need of a trial lawyer? My career in both law and politics has been spent fighting for the injured and most vulnerable. Faithful Catholics, your problem is that many of the trial lawyers that I have been fighting are on the side of the abortion industry, as well as many other intrinsic evils. Martindale Hubble, the agency that rates attorneys, has given me the highest rating for both ethics and ability. I am a former county, state, and federal prosecutor, as well as a three-term sheriff, 
and I am the host of the program Cross-Examination on WSFI. If you want a trial lawyer with the highest credentials and ability that will not support the evil agenda destroying America, but will support WSFI Catholic Radio, then you can learn more at 847-721-3189 or go to markcurrentlaw.com. Once again, that's 847-721-3189 or go to markcurrentlaw.com. Hello, this is Father Dwight Campbell, back for the second segment of the Marian Hour on this 12th day of July, 2023, the month of the precious blood of Jesus. And I'm talking today about Our Lady of Mount Carmel because this Sunday, the 16th of July, is on the normal church calendar, the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Of course, most parishes will not celebrate that feast because it, it's not a major feast, except um, if it's your patronal feast. I am pastor of one of my two churches, besides St. Teresa of Lisieux in Kenosha, is Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And there is a liturgical option that a parish can always celebrate their patronal feast on the Sunday near the patronal feast. Well. It just so happens that the 16th of July, the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, falls on this Sunday. So at my parish, Our Lady of Mount Carmel in Kenosha, we will be celebrating Saturday evening and Sunday the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And I'll be relating the story uh, that I'm relating today uh, in a little more uh, condensed version about our Lady of Mount Carmel, and the prophet Elijah. By the way, I'll just throw in a little plug um, at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church, which is located in Kenosha at, um, on 54th Street and 19th Avenue. Uh, right next door to Our Lady of Mount Carmel Parish is Columbus Park, and Our Lady of Mount Carmel Parish is hosting their festival this weekend, beginning Friday evening with the great spaghetti dinner, Friday evening, Saturday evening. Also, you can go out on the grounds. We have bands. We have all kinds of food, Italian food. We have great egg rolls as well. We have a Vietnamese family that makes 10,000 egg rolls, and they sell them over three days of our festival. So if you, can get a if you have the chance to make it up to Kenosha, to uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church, well, right next door, Columbus Park, 22nd Avenue and 54th Street, our Lady of Mount Carmel Festival is taking place Friday evening, Saturday afternoon and evening, and Sunday afternoon and evening. Okay, so I'm going to return now to the first book of Kings, which, as I said in the first segment, if you have uh, like a Douay Rheims Bible, an older Bible, this would be the third book of Kings, which talks about the uh, Advent, the coming of appearance of the prophet Elijah on the scene, who's not a writing prophet, but he's the first of the great prophets, who will come again at the end of the world. Maybe we'll, we will be alive to see him. Things are looking that way, I think. I wouldn't be surprised if um, the man of perdition makes his appearance in the world today, uh, uh, the way the world is going. So, 
Anyway, but back to um, the prophet Elijah back about 800 or so BC. He's prophesying in the northern kingdom. He calls a plague or a, a drought upon the land for three and a half years. It doesn't rain. And beginning at chapter 18, we see <clears throat> that in the third year, the Lord spoke to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab, the king. And he said, uh, the Lord said to tell Ahab that I may send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And as the text goes on to say, now the famine in Samaria was bitter. You can imagine the famine with no rain, no crops are growing. And um, Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, was murdering uh, the prophets of the Lord. There was a, a band of, of prophets who were trying to tell people along with Elijah to turn back from their evil way, stop sacrificing to pagan gods, offering their children to the demons. Anyway, uh, we'll skip down now to verse 16. Ahab, the king, came to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is it you, you disturber of Israel? And Elijah answers, It is not I who disturb Israel, but you and your family by forsaking the commands of the Lord and following the Baals. The Baals were the false gods, okay, the, the demons, basically. And then Elijah said, Now summon all Israel to me on Mount Carmel as well as the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table, his wife's table. Okay. Well, Mount Carmel is one of the, the high mountains in Israel. I visited, I was on top of Mount Carmel twice. Most recently, about three years ago, I led a pilgrimage there of parishioners, offered mass there, and from the top of Mount Carmel, you can look out on a clear day and see the Mediterranean Sea. And it was on top of Mount Carmel that uh, the incident I'm about to describe takes place. So I'll read here from verse 21 of chapter 18. Elijah appealed to all the people of Israel okay, in the northern kingdom and said, How long will you straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. In other words, these, these pagan gods, these demons. The people, however, did not answer him. So Elijah said to the people, I am on, the only surviving prophet of the Lord, because Jezebel, Ahab's wife, had killed off all the other prophets. And he says, there are 450 prophets of Baal. Give us two young bulls. Let them choose one, the Baal prophets, cut it to pieces, place it on the wood, but start no fire. There, were, there was a wooden altar there on top of Mount Carmel. I shall prepare the other bull and place it on wood, the other altar, but shall start no fire. You, the false prophets, call on your gods, and I will call on the Lord. Then God, who answers with fire, is God. 
the true God. And all the people answered, agreed. So then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one young bull, prepare it first, and call upon your gods, but do not start the fire. And taking a young bull that was turned over to them, they prepared it, called on Baal, the false god, from morning to noon, saying, answer us, Baal. But there was no sound and no one answering. And they hopped around on the altar they prepared. When it was noon, Elijah taunted them, call louder, for he is a God who may be meditating your God, or may be tired, or may be on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. The false prophets called out the louder, slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until blood gushed over them. Imagine the bloody mess that was taking place, this demonic dance that they were performing. Noon passed, and they remained in a prophetic state, like in a demonic trance, okay, until the time for the offering of sacrifice. That's 3 p.m. But there was no sound. No one answered. No one was listening. Okay. Well, uh, verse 30 continues, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And when they had done so, this is all the people of Israel. They're all gathered up on top of Mount Carmel at this time. And he says, uh, well, the text says that Elijah took 12 stones for the number of the 12 sons of Jacob, or Israel, the 12 tribes, whom the Lord said, your name shall be Israel. He built an altar in honor of the Lord with the stones, made a trench around the altar, large enough for two sayas of grain. When he had arranged the wood, he cut up the young bull, laid it on the wood, and then he said, fill four jars with water and pour it over the holocaust and over the wood. So he's making it very clear that He's drenching the, the bull and the wood uh, with water. And he said, do it again. And they did it again a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar. The trench was filled with water. At that time, it was the time for offering sacrifice. It was 3 p.m. significantly. Okay. The prophet Elijah came forward and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, that's Jacob, his name was changed to Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all these things in your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to their senses. Then the Lord's fire came down and consumed the holocaust of Elijah, that is, wood, stones, and dust, and it lapped up the water in the trench. Seeing this, all the people fell prostrate and said, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let none of them escape. They were seized. Elijah had them brought down to the brook Kishon, and there he slit their throats. In other words, he performed capital punishment 
putting to death these false prophets who were leading the people into demonic worship, offering their children to pagan gods. Okay? Uh, this is part of the justification, of course, we see in the Old Testament for the death penalty, which the church has always taught the state has the ability to, to carry out uh, in the name of God. Okay? The church cannot change this teaching. It can, it can recommend that it be used sparingly, but it cannot declare the death penalty wrong. It cannot do that. Just to make that clear. Well, then, verse 42, Ahab went to eat and drink while Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel once again after he had been down slitting the throats of the false prophets. And he put his head, his head between his knees. And then he ordered his servant to climb up and look out to the sea. The servant went up, looked out, came back, reported there is nothing. Seven times he said, go look again. The seventh time the youth, the young man reported, there was a cloud as small as a man's hand or foot rising from the sea. And Elijah said, go and say to Ahab, harness up, leave the mountain before the rain stops you. The sky grew dark with clouds and wind, a heavy rain fell. Well, this ended the drought for three and one-half years um, after Elijah challenged these false prophets of Baal. And the Lord was victorious, of course. Okay. Well, that small cloud that could be seen coming up from the Mediterranean Sea became a large cloud or set of clouds, dark clouds filled with heavy rain. This is the rain filling the earth, okay, ending the three and a half year drought. And saints and spiritual writers have seen this in this little cloud, which brought forth a great abundant rain, a symbol or type of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who, though small and insignificant, in comparison with God, by her cooperation with the Holy Spirit, brought forth the greatest fruit of all, which is Jesus Christ. Um, all the grace of, of God comes through Jesus Christ, his salvation. So the, this little cloud rising is, is a type of Mary. It grows into this huge set of clouds, brings forth abundant rain, Mary conceiving Jesus, brought forth the, the dew from heaven, so to speak, grace from heaven. In fact, the Sunday's first reading is going to be about that. It will describe how God sends forth his word to bring forth fruit on the earth, and this is Jesus Christ, as a matter of fact. Okay. Um, another thing that the commentators say is that this cloud, which brought pure rain, arose out of salt water to symbolize that Mary would come into the world not tainted with that like salt water, but pure from humanity's guilt of original sin. That's her immaculate conception. And uh, some have, have said too, and it depends upon your translation, the cloud was in the shape of a foot. And this fulfills the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. I will put enmities between you Satan and the woman between your seed and her seed, and she will crush your head with her foot. 
the pure rep as I said, the pure rain represents the grace of Jesus Christ. Mary is the mediatrix of all the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, um, how do we get the Our Lady of Mount Carmel out of this? Well, uh, yes, there is this type of Mary in this little cloud, but the religious order of Our Lady of Mount Carmel traces its roots to the prophet Elijah and to his successor also, who was Elisha. Remember, Elijah going up in the chariot, hands off his mantle to Elisha, his successor. And uh, following Elijah and Elisha, there were, you could say, monks, Old Testament monks, who prayed on top of Mount Carmel, awaiting the Savior to come. And as the Carmelite story tells it, on that very first Pentecost, 50 days after our Lord's resurrection from the dead, 10 days after his ascension, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. And as the Carmelites tell it, the monks who were spiritual descendants of Elijah and Elisha, his successor, okay, they came and were among the first of the 500 to be baptized that first Pentecost Sunday. And uh, then they returned to Mount Carmel and they built the first chapel in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay. And we're going to fast forward now to the 13th century. In the 13th century, the Muslim Saracens invaded the Holy Land, forced the Carmelites to flee, and they spread throughout Europe. Some ended up in England. The superior general of the order, the prior general, he's a saint now, Simon Stock, he was thinking of disbanding the order. And on July 16, 1251, Our Lady appeared to him. I'll finish with the story when we return after a short break. an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Hi, this is Mark Curran. Are you in need of a trial lawyer? My career in both law and politics has been spent fighting for the injured and most vulnerable. Martindale Hubble has given me the highest rating in ethics and ability. If you want a trial lawyer with the highest rating in ethics and ability that will not support the evil agenda destroying America, 
people will support WSFI Catholic Radio? Well, you can learn more at 847-721-3189 or go to markcurrenlaw.com. Hi, my name is Irene Sherapata. My husband, Alex, and I are volunteers for WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is our family's source of truthful and trustworthy information regarding the Catholic faith, the church, our religion, and state of the world in these trying times. My husband, Alex, and I are greatly rewarded for our volunteer work at WSFI by working with such lovable and like-minded people and by meeting and hearing firsthand some of our, the most respected, wise, and interesting guest speakers. Its programmings on healing the whole person has helped so many and is truly inspired by God. This radio station is really a school of Catholic thought and source of wisdom. We have learned so much, and our faith and love for God has increased so much that we hope to share it with everyone we meet. We hope and pray that WSFI 88.5 FM would soon reach the entire Chicagoland population. You too can help WSFI bring millions of souls to God. See how you can support their effort by calling WSFI Catholic Radio at 224-206-8455 or online at WSFICatholicRadio.org for your donation. Thank you very much, and uh, God bless you. This is Father Dwight Campbell back for the third segment of our Marian Hour on this 12th day of July, 2023, the month of the precious blood of Jesus. We're talking about today Our Lady of Mount Carmel, the history behind this feast, which is July 16th, falls on this coming Sunday. Most parishes will not celebrate this, but as I mentioned, uh, my parish, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, will celebrate it because it's our patronal feast. We get to celebrate the feast um, our patronal feast on the Sunday closest to it. In fact, it, it happens to fall on the exact day this year. And uh, I got, I'll got i put in another plug. We have a Mount Carmel Festival this coming weekend in Kenosha at Columbus Park right next to the church, uh, 22nd Avenue and 54th Street. Come and enjoy a great spaghetti dinner Friday, Saturday night, great Italian food. Uh, we also have egg rolls that are terrific and music and a lot of fun for everyone in the family. Uh, actually, the following week is is the St. Therese Festival uh, in Kenosha. That's at 90th Avenue and 22nd Avenue. Uh, pardon, me, pardon me, 90th Street and 22nd Avenue, featuring bands and good food, etc. So anyway, back to uh, the, the Carmelites, okay? Um, so Elijah defeats the false prophets of Baal back 800 years before Christ. His followers, spiritual uh, descendants, you could say, are kind of live like 
monks on Mount Carmel, the mount, mountain in Israel. They're awaiting the Savior. On first Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and Peter and the apostles go out and baptize hundreds, the Carmelite tradition says that these Carmelite monks were the first to be baptized. They go up back on Mount Carmel, they build the first chapel in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now we fast forward to the 13th century. The Muslim Saracens invade the Holy Land, force the Carmelites to flee. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll back up uh, a little bit. Uh, in the year 1207, at the beginning of the 13th century, um, the monks of Carmel, of Mount Carmel, adopted a formal rule to live by. And in 1226, the Pope, Honorius III, received a vision from Our Lady who directed him to take the Order of Mount Carmel, her order, as she said it, under his special protection and to confirm their rule, which he did in a papal bull. Okay. So, but after he does this, the Muslim Saracens drive the Carmelites out of the Holy Land. They're spread throughout Europe and uh, their prior general is in England at the time. His name is Simon Stock. And he's thinking of disbanding the order because it's just in disarray, but Our Lady did not want her order abandoned. And on July 16th, 1251, when Simon Stock was 86 years old, Our Lady appeared to him in a vision, an apparition. And she presents to him the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Now, the original brown scapular that she presented is a large piece, uh, piece of cloth that covers the front of one's body and the back with a hole in the middle of it. This is what the members of the religious order of Mount Carmel wear. And the smaller version that we wear is just a piece of brown cloth attached by uh, a string. Okay. Uh, actually, there are two strings so that it you know, fits around your neck and each of the, the pieces of brown cloth hang on one on in your front, in your chest, the other on the back. But the full scapular is what the, the members of our, our Lady of Mount Carmel order wear. And Our Lady, when she gave the brown scapular to Simon Stock, said, whoever dies clothed in this scapular shall not suffer eternal fire. This is the great promise of Our Lady linked with wearing of the brown scapular. The brown scapular is not a sacrament. It does not impart grace of itself. Okay. It's not an outward sign of an inward grace, you could say. It's, but it, it is a, s a sacramental, and which means it carries with it special blessings and graces for those who are open to God's graces. Okay. Um, the promise of Our Lady, whoever dies wearing the scapular shall not, shall not suffer eternal fire, is really a promise to receive Our Lady's protection to die in a state of grace. If we die in a state of grace, we will not suffer eternal fire. If you die in a state of mortal sin, that is outside of a state of grace, you will suffer eternal fire. So Our Lady's promise is that those who wear the brown scapular and the understanding is devoutly. Someone can't be leading a life of sin thinking that 
the brown scapula is like a good luck charm. As long as I wear it, I'll get to heaven. No, no. But uh, if someone wears it devoutly and and uh, is devoted to Our Lady as well, okay, because the brown scapular is um, really a, a sign of devotion, of consecration to Our Lady and her Immaculate Heart. Popes have taught this. For example, uh, Pope Pius Twelfth in 1950 uh, said that the brown scapular is a sign of consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Pope John Paul II in 2001 called the brown scapular the most genuine form of devotion to the Blessed Virgin, a humble sign of consecration to her Immaculate Heart. So um, I'll mention one more um, testimony of the brown scapular. It's, it's Sister Lucia, the third seer who, who died as a Carmelite nun um, to whom Our Lady appeared at, at Fatima. And Sister Lucy was asked once why Our Lady at her final appearance on October 13th 1917, this is when the great miracle of the sun took place, why she appeared in, in three different images, one as, as Our Lady of Sorrows, another the Holy Family with Joseph holding the baby Jesus in his arms, and then she appeared as Our Lady of Mount Carmel, holding the brown scapular. And um, Sister Lucy was asked, this was back in the 1950s, why Mary came with the brown scapular. And Sister Lucia responded, because Our Lady wants everyone to wear it. It is our sign of consecration to her immaculate heart. So that that miniature version of the larger brown scapular that the members of the religious order of Our Lady of Mount Carmel wear, we wear. And actually, one should be enrolled when one first receives a brown scapular in the confraternity of the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. I do this always. It's traditional to do it when one receives the first one's first Holy Communion. I do this all the time throughout my whole priesthood. First Communion, at the end of the First Communion service, I enroll all the children in the confraternity of the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And any priest can do this enrollment. I'll be doing it on, on Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday, um, after my, my 12 o'clock uh, noon Latin Mass, enrolling people, anyone who, who wants to be enrolled. Um, we'll be passing out brown scapulars too at, at our Masses uh, this coming Sunday at Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church in Kenosha. So um, if you have never been enrolled in the confraternity of the Brown Scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, talk to a priest, ask that he enroll you. Once you're enrolled, you're enrolled for life, which means you partake of all the spiritual benefits of the priests and religious of the order of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And if the scapular should break or get worn out or damaged, okay, uh, then you just get a new one, have a priest bless it, 
and you partake of, of the promise of Our Lady, whoever dies wearing this shall not suffer eternal fire. So uh, now I'm going to move to a feast that is celebrated uh, not on the world church calendar, but in some places. Uh, the feast of the 16 Carmelite nun martyrs of Compiègne, France. This is July 17th. It's their feast day. Back, this is back during the time of the French Revolution. Uh, the evil men who were in charge of the French Revolution wanted to stamp out uh, the faith, the Catholic faith. You know, they, they put up a, a statue of the goddess of reason in, in the cathedral of Notre Dame, which is being rebuilt right now. Uh, say a prayer for that. And we're worshiping this false god of reason, sort of like the, the uh, pagans back at Elijah's time were worshiping the, the god of, uh, of Baal. Well, um, they ordered all the religious orders to be disbanded, the Carmelite nuns, they kept meeting, they were arrested. 16 of the Carmelite nuns from Compiègne, they were brought to Paris. Uh, significantly, it was God's plan, they were dressed in prison garb. The day set for their execution was July 17th. And the night before, or that morning, I forget exactly when that was, but their clothes were being washed, their prison garb. So they were allowed to wear their habits. Well, the, the, the prison garb didn't come back from the laundry, and they were all loaded on a cart and taken to the guillotine. And they're passing through the streets, these 16 Carmelite nuns in a cart, and they're, they're singing songs. The people who usually were calling for blood saw these 16 nuns, and there was just silence as they approached the um, the scaffold and one by one they got out and one by one each of the nuns went up to the scaffold and, and was guillotined each of them before mounting the scaffold turned to the mother superior and said mother permission to die and the mother su superior said permission granted daughter and each one of them marched up the scaffold was guillotined until the last of the nuns, and they were singing, uh, I believe it was um, the Salve Regina. Some, some accounts have different, a different song being sung. Um, there's a beautiful novel by Gertrude Lefort. It's called The Song at the Scaffold, which tells the story of the 16 Carmelite martyrs of Compiègne. And uh, Poulenc wrote uh, a beautiful opera. I've seen it twice. Very powerful at the end when each of the nuns is walking up the steps of the scaffold and all you're hearing you can't see the guillotine falling but you hear it uh, fall each time as they're singing the uh, the song until the last nun sings um, significantly too the the reign of terror stopped ended with the martyrdom of the 16 Carmelite nuns so um, I always like to preach about the 16 Carmelites, especially on July 17th, which is uh, their feast day 
properly speaking, even though it doesn't appear on on the at least the North American calendar. So um, now I'll I'll just say this. I I wanted to finish off talking a little more about this, but I'll just quickly say that I think. Um, I'm going to say something about Bishop Joseph Strickland. I think he's a modern-day Elijah. Okay? He went out and led the, uh, the rally against uh, the, the demonic uh, honoring of, of these uh, nuns of perpetual indulgence at L.A. Stadium a couple of weeks ago, led a rosary rally out there. It was successful. I think Our Lady interceded. Uh, hardly anyone showed up for that L.A. Dodger game. We must pray for Bishop Strickland, for um, all our bishops, that they be willing to stand up against the uh, forces of evil which are uh, inundating our, our culture um, and, and leading many people away from the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. Let us call upon especially Our Lady under her glorious title, Mount Carmel, that she may crush the head of the serpent. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to The Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell. For a free copy of this recording, please visit us at wsfipodbean.com.